Stand up and be special. Testing, testing. Okay. Stand up and be special. Uh, Self care, mental health, habits, values. Stand up and be special podcast. Yes, okay, so I just. I just start. Hello and welcome to the second season of my podcast. I hope that you are well and somewhat enjoying this crazy start to the year. I just wanted to place a trigger warning on this episode as we talk about mental health topics that might be triggering to some people. They are suicidal ideation, eating disorders and depression. If you are struggling mentally or think that listening to these stories will affect you, then I encourage you to reach out to Lifeline or your GP and listen to it at another time if it is helpful and beneficial to your journey. I hope you enjoy this episode as Rishi really opens up honestly about his struggles, which I think on some level we can all relate to. I really thank Rishi from the bottom of my heart for sharing his stories and speaking honestly about his struggles. Thank you for coming on to my podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, First question is, well, not really a question, but just tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're up to in your life right now. So my name's Vishy Ramraco. I live in Haberfield in the inner west. I'm currently 21 years old. I work at David Jones and a little cafe in the city. I'm studying a degree in psychology. And... That's all he must about me. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. And um, I guess I ask everyone that comes on this question, but um, how would you define success for yourself right now? Right now or in my future life? I guess either or, however you interpret the question. I think the driving factor for me is to make an impact and make change in some area of life that I can. And um, when I fail to achieve that kind of goal, uh, that's what kind of gives me meaning. So when I don't achieve that, that definitely is a big blow, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so studying psychology, I would love to make a real big impact in say the field of like schizophrenia treatment. That would be a big thing for me. And then uh, what I can do now, obviously my work isn't, pretty much changed, but uh, we're hosting various outside of work. And I think I started to make a real impact on the scene. And, but with COVID, that's been a bit difficult. Mm, For sure. No, I completely understand. And um, where, I guess in that, where do you hope to be in one year? In one year, uh, more financially stable, (laughs) um, more responsible with my money. Uh, That would be definitely one thing. I think um, hosting events more often and legally as well. Um, that would be a big thing. And uh, continue with my degree, hopefully finishing off next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you use? I've, I've been watching some of your podcasts mm. and you've asked people on the show what their definition of success is. And I find it interesting that they often have different ones. <laughs> and they draw different, different inspirations from different places. But where did you start off, at least when you first started podcasting, with your definition of success? And do you think that's changed? Um, I think, oh, interesting question. Um, I think at the beginning, I thought, because I guess I've always lived a very privileged life. And mm. I 
I, so I've always sort of thought, okay, if you have money, then you're successful um, and you have a roof over your head. And obviously that is, um, but I felt like there was like something more and I wanted to know different people's stories and different people's like drive. And I love talking to people and I love finding out like their, I guess, purpose in life. And I feel like, you know, bringing people's stories to life and bringing like people who aren't famous or just everyday people is really interesting to me. And so um, I guess that doesn't really have anything to do with success, but more so that I can um, help people, I guess, I guess in a way it's sort of helping people and listening to people and that sort of, yeah, I guess helping people in a way. Yeah, for sure. I think um, where my definition is, it's interesting you bring up privilege. I would say for me, I have to think back to my parents. So my dad was born in Fiji and my mother was born to uh, in Shire and she, her father died when she was young and her mother was deaf and it wasn't many opportunities back in 1966 for um, you know, a deaf woman to really make a career. Um, but I would definitely say I've come from privilege and I went to a private school um, I'm luckily a mixed race, so I've got that light skin privilege as well. <laughs> um, but I was always, well, I look at my parents though, and, kind of, and the money they've made, I've always not really valued money, mm. if that makes sense. I've always lived so comfortably. And I know that I'll have that kind of support going forward. So I don't really have money as a goal. I feel like money is needed to do obvious things with your life, but. I mean, psychologically, you're making about 100K a year, uh, Australian dollars. Uh, this is from a US study. A, no, a dollar more will um, make you any happier. Mm. And $100,000 is no easy feat. That's more than the average Australian makes. Mm. Um, uh, but still, like, for me, that's kind of a goal. So I've always drawn money from other places. Um, my mom works in education. My father works in health. And so even then, I think my parents went into careers where, and my dad works half private system and half in the public system. And if he really wanted to just go for money, or my mom did, she would work in a private school, mm. but she doesn't. And if my dad really wanted to do that, he would just work private 24 seven, but he doesn't do that too, because he feels that the ethical obligation of a doctor is to help people. Mm. And uh, I, I see that myself doing psychology, could become a doctor, but shaky hands <laughs> um so I couldn't do surgery but um I don't ever just say to help people at this point in my life but just to create change in any other way so just make an impact in some form but it's hard with the avenues that I pick to do that I don't want to do that through a way of like you know TikTok or something like that you know mm. doing for all my own personal like fame and glory mm. it's just seeing a difference be made yeah no I feel that because yeah there's a lot of content out there that you think you would think would help people but I get what you mean with the whole like self-promotion sort of thing and like pushing your image forward rather than the message that you're trying to promote Ooh. um okay <laughs> I didn't expect you to ask me a question but anyway <laughs> yeah um well, it's a dialogue not a monologue yeah 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 um and I wanted to talk about a little bit about what we talked about 
at your party actually because you said some really Ooh. interesting things um so um how was the transition from I guess high school to being like out of high school for you um okay I mean I could go on this for for hours but I can break it up into three distinct sections so the worst I like to classify myself as there's been different rishis throughout time and um I look back in high school with a degree of fondness, but I wouldn't, I think I've done more stuff in my life and had more fun outside of high school when I've been healthy and outside of COVID than I was when I was during high school. Um, but initially I found it really tough because I, so I had the savings that I had for a couple months and um, there was like a six month period where I was dating this girl and um, we, she didn't have a job. I didn't have a job. I we didn't do much. We'd hang out maybe a couple times a week, and that'd be it. We didn't really go out. Um, and I would wake up at about ten o'clock, start playing Black Ops Four's Blackout mode until four a.m. Maybe some days go to the pub, come back at twelve, keep playing to four, um, and smoke uh, from time to time, and that was it. That was my life for like months. And it was the worst Rishi I've ever been because I was just complacent. I was not pushing myself to do anything, to do anything. And I wasn't depressed. I was just complacent. And I got damn good at that game, though. I was um, uh, 50th in the country at one point. That's an achievement. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah. So I was like a top 0.01% for that. And uh, that did help out later on when I like later on in lockdown where I started playing competitively. But um, there was no goal with that. It was just playing for the sake of playing. And some people find that content, but I, that was not contentment. I look back at that and I go, why did I do that for myself? Why did I just do nothing? So that's the first section. Um, I think for me, though, the biggest change was uh, with my mental health. And um, the... It's been about four years, three years now, where my mental health has kind of taken this massive nosedive. And it's, I've, I've experienced like a lot of things in my life, but it's really more been genetic than anything else. Um, so it started off uh, mid-2019, where I started having like anorexia thoughts and eating disordered thoughts. And um, especially as a guy, I was able to hide it because I was always skinny. And over about a six-month period, I lost 20 kilos. And uh, I was already thin. I was already below. I was already, like, um, barely above on the weight. So I went from 68 kilos down to 48 kilos. I had a BMI at the lowest point of 14.7, which, if you know anything, life is sustained. Life is considered, like, the lowest you can go for BMI is about 14. Below that, like, there's no real, like, documentations. Uh, I got told at one point that I, I had, like, a month, if I kept going at the rate I was going, which was about a kilo a week, um, that, like, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be a me anymore. Like, it just wouldn't exist. And I got hospitalized and scheduled in, like, October. And that also came on side at the same time with a freaking possession charge. I beat that though, and I was fine. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I got scheduled. If you don't know what scheduled means, it's when the hospital decided that you are, it happens to, it comes a lot with eating disorder people, depressed people, and schizophrenics. It's when the hospital decides that you are um, too much of a danger to yourself or others. And so they find, give you like a mandatory, uh, mandatory uh, medical thing you have to do. So mine was, I stayed there for about a day and they, they loved, like, I, I was like severely dehydrated. And, um, and the reason why I went there the first time, first couple of times was because I was fainting all week mm. because my blood pressure had dropped so low that like it was not sustaining my body. So if I stood up too quickly, I would just faint. And I fainted the third time or fourth time and hit my head. And um, I was like, it was like 3 a.m. and I was calling one of my friends and no one picked up except for one of my female friends, Sophie. And she got convinced me to like go to a hospital and uh, they got me yeah, out. And then I had to see a GP every week and she's checking my vitals and all that kind of stuff and did blood tests to make sure that like, like I didn't just like the physical effects of it didn't go away. And then I started my first admission, which was three months. It took me to get weight restored. And that wasn't to, that's not above to your like a set weight, which is what I'm at now. It's just until you're not underweight anymore. That took about 12 weeks. Um, and then uh, I was chilling. I came out, I was still like <clears throat> screwing ahead. And then uh, I was selling drugs at the time, nothing big or anything like that, but just, um, you know, like a thousand dollars here and there. And um, I started getting reckless and eventually my parents found out and we had this conversation and they were like, why are you doing this? You know, like, did you know, like it's something to do, like, did you know where this will end up? And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I know what I'm doing. If like, I, I know that like, I'm not, you know, actually gangbanging and what you were selling like psychedelics and stuff. But in Australia, LSD is a class A drug, so mm. you can get pretty good charges for that. Um, but I said to them, they asked, what would happen if you got charged and you have to go to prison? And I said to them with a completely straight face, I would just kill myself. Wow. Like I would have survived in prison. Mm. Like I would be, you know, beat up or raped or both. Um, and I knew that. So, but I, I was so adamant that like, I was thinking of a fucking period where I was just like, that's what I'm going to do. I think I really shocked them. So they took my phone for two weeks. It's a bit weird when you're 19. <laughs> and um, I could have texted my friends um online but i was like all right that's it just gonna plan that out like, i won't go into too much detail maybe now but we can talk about more later on it's gonna be a whole deep dive I'm just trying to do a summary now um and that was the start of not talking to any of my friends for four months we didn't talk to any of my close friends anybody else never barely left the house barely talked to any of my family i saw my immediate family um I stopped showering, uh, started doing self-harm. I was completely sober during this time, though. Um, that lasted a while, and there was an attempt there, which unfortunately failed. <laughs> At the time, I thought it was a botch. I'm glad now it didn't, but, you know, that wasn't my only attempt. But, um, and yeah, and then things started to get better. And I started feeling good. And I started feeling really good. And then I started feeling too good. And then it started getting very overwhelming. And for about two weeks, I had experienced my first manic episode. And I blew all the money, all the savings that I had on uh, escorts. 
in like a week. Wow. Like every day, they would drive, speak out. And uh, yeah, it was all private, so it wasn't even like that was like regulated escorts too. Like it was always, you know, people were like above age or something like that, you know, wasn't doing anything you know, dirty. But it was just like people who weren't like working at brothels and stuff like that was all regulated. Um, just like random people's like Airbnbs and stuff like that. So that was very risky because this regulations for that are very um like I'm pretty pro sex workers, but um and I have friends who are sex workers too. But um so there's regulation around in terms of like how often you have to get an SDI check, how clean does the place have to be, you know, how uh you got to treat it up the clients come in like all these mm-hmm. kind of things and when you do it privately it's not a lot of regulation to it yeah that was a lot of risky behaviors and then i was chilling for a little bit and i fell back into a press episode and then i started to experience my first episode of psychosis again three months sober here <laughs> only smoking cigarettes and only smoking like seven a day and uh that lasted a couple of weeks um and that was pretty bad it was like I was like accusing my parents of all these things. And um, whenever I was out, I was having these hallucinations that had like knives that like, were coming against me. And all three of those I could go into deep details about because I still experience them to this day. And then I began my second hospital admission. And that lasted two months. Um, and at the time I got you know put on all these like strong medications and adult therapy. And when I came out, I was like uh jiggling all the time, like Get you, I look like a crazy person, and um, yeah, and then there was that was and again, it was pretty rough after that. And then I had um, started hosting more raves, and things were getting better. And then I started doing like way too many names, and I had a Mac episode. And I had a rave, got shut down, chucked a runner, jumped off a wall, and broke my foot, and then limped across old Canopy Road and Peterson to my friend's house to hide out with a giant liter tank of nangs in my hand, um, just pumping that so I wouldn't feel the pain of breaking my foot. Then I have to walk on it all the way up to like, very big, like 300 meters. Um, and then I, being at home, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't go, at the time I was going to the gym and doing the stuff, but once I broke my foot, I couldn't do that. And that's something to, pretty moderate the first the second first episode i ever had was definitely severe yeah, definitely severe the second one or third one sorry was more moderate so none of the s words came up you know but um then i went to hospital another time because the meds i was on were the side effects were too dire like i was sleeping like 16 hours a day mm-hmm. and um so that just couldn't i couldn't you know, like it was good because i wasn't psychotic but like i couldn't keep going on like that mm-hmm. so it changed my meds and then I haven't been in hospital since. I've been eight months out of hospital. Um, my weight's been good. I've, I've had a lot of slips and slides though, like, you know, relapses into different episodes. And right now I'm on the maximum dose for my mood stabilizer, the maximum dose for my antidepressant. Uh, and all those are very strong meds. And a maximum dose for my antipsychotic, 50 milligrams to five ounces, just to keep me concentrated. Um, and then I have some PRN medication. If you don't know, that means it's like as per needed. Mm-hmm. So when you're feeling uh, too depressed, it can make you just fall asleep or too manic or psychotic. It makes you um, just calms you down. Mm-hmm. It's not a benzo though. It's an antipsychotic, uh, atypical antipsychotic. And um, 
yeah, and I think that's kind of what brought me where I am now. And that's worked, but it hasn't worked well enough. Mm. Like, you know, I go through periods every other few weeks of like depressive symptoms since four years, I would say, where I haven't had, haven't not been in a depressive episode, mm. um, at least mild to moderate degree. And that's only been broken up by psychotic and manic episodes. So I'm starting this thing called TMS. And TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation. They put like magnet on the first session, they put magnetic words in your head. And you go into this machine and they map out your brain and they see what areas aren't functioning properly. And then the next few sessions for about six to eight weeks, you go in every day and they put these magnetic coils on and they like uh, stim- mag- electromagnetically stimulate that area of the brain. And it works about 50% of the time. Mm. 50% of the time it works. So ECT is the most extreme that works about 70% of the time. Um, but I, I have hope because um, often that's originally done with people who have no response to medication. I do have, I've had a response to medication. It's just not been enough. Mm. Um, so maybe that'll make a new Rishi, like, <laughs> but that's kind of where I'm at with my treatment now and where I have been. And then third part is for the fun bit, you know, Yes, out of school, I've been able to have a lot more freedom. Mm. I've been able to get some jobs here and there, and you know, I've been able to go out a lot more and do all the things that I've wanted to do. Obviously, COVID has restricted that, but when I have at least like the full availability or full like responsibility of myself, I've been able to utilize that mm. and do things that uh, my future, my previous self would have like wanted me to do, I guess. Mm. Um, but I, I can't recognize the person who I was when I was like 17. Mm. But it's just so foreign to me. Like if I told him like this is what your rest of your life is gonna be like, you'd be like, no, <laughs> on that. Like everything was so much more like simple back then. Yeah. Um but I, I invite the challenge. I'd rather have uh I always say it's um doesn't matter if it's good or bad as long as it's interesting. Mm. That's a good perspective to have. Or, yeah, uh, that keeps me going because uh, my life's been damn interesting, that's for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. There will be a part two where Rishi talks about the struggles with his mental health a little bit more and also his recovery. If you found this episode triggering or struggled with any of the topics, I would highly encourage you to reach out and seek help or skip the next episode if it's not helpful to you. Likewise, if you found inspiration from Rishi, as I definitely did when I was speaking to him, I hope you'll listen to part two. If you'd like to follow my socials, they're in the description below. And as always, I appreciate all the love that everyone has given me um, while I've focused on other things in the past few months. And I hope that you will continue to listen to my podcast and be inspired as I am when I speak to all my lovely friends and acquaintances um, in the next few weeks. So I'm excited to start this up again and um, yeah, just speak to more people about their journey and about their struggles and about their inspirations and what they hope to get out of life and get out of the future or just have a chat and talk about nothing so thank you for following me along and following all these wonderful people that I'm having on so far